So this is the final, for me, uh, the final piece of the Life series. It's the seventh piece. We started weeks ago making our way towards Easter. And um, we spent some time in the book of Philippians. The first three weeks we talked about the prayer of Paul in Philippians to just have that flow of life and the fullness of life. And then we shifted over to John 15 and the teaching of Jesus that occurred after he had left the upper room, but prior to his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we spent time talking about this 15th chapter in which Jesus declared that he was the vine. And uh, he used a metaphor to try to characterize uh, who he was and who the disciples were in relationship to him and who we are in relationship to him. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talked about this idea of bearing fruit. And he talked about cutting away the dead branches so that the branches that bear fruit could bear more fruit. And he used that as a metaphor for a life of living in him and how the Lord wants to, even with the fruit-bearing branches, he desires to prune them back, to cut them back so that they can bring forth in greater measure a higher quality of fruit and a, and a, a stronger capacity of life flow. And so all of this is connected. And he said, you, you, he, he was telling his disciples, don't ever forget that this is, as far as my kingdom works, as far as how I work, uh, there is no such thing as a life apart from me. The branch bears the fruit, yes, but that branch has to be vitally connected to the vine. Without that connection, no life flow can come, no nourishment, no vitamin exchange. Nothing can occur. That idea of nutrition flowing out ultimately from the fruit is connected to the vine. And Jesus is telling us very clearly that the Christian life cannot be lived effectively uh, or abundantly apart from a commitment to being connected to him. And it's a heart issue. And that's a big part of what I want to talk about in this morning's time is how much of what we have in the Lord is an issue of the heart. And we're going to look at uh, this final piece of, of Scripture, we'll just quickly cover the three verses that we looked at last week, John 15, verses 9 through 11. Jesus said this. He said, as the Father loved me, I also, um, I also have loved you, and I want you to live in my love. Um, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide or dwell in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... These words that I have shared with you, my reason for sharing them, my purpose, is that your joy may remain. In fact, he says, I want my joy to remain in you, and my desire is that your joy would be made full and overflowing. And we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. We have suggested that happiness is something that is, although it is desired, and I do believe it's God's would like us and desire us to be happy and joyful, but I would suggest that happiness is sometimes dependent on circumstances. Happiness depends on what happens. And so when things are happening in, in a way that makes us happy, it's easy to be happy. Um, but when things are happening that are not fun or good um, and may be very painful, it's, it's not that convenient or pro sometimes I don't even think it's appropriate. In fact, I'm clear, it's pretty clear that it's, there are times where it is actually inappropriate to just put on a happy face. I mean, Jesus, Jesus talked about things that were not always easy. And um, the Bible says that there was a time to mourn and a time to grieve. And I'm not suggesting that we are to live in a depressed fashion. 
But at the same token, I don't think it, it means that every situation that we confront in life is something that we're supposed to be happy about because we're not allowed to engage it in a very honest fashion. And the fact is, you know, you, you read the papers and you listen to the news, and I found myself just, just really getting inundated recently with just the, the onslaught of, of, of violence and the, the killings that I was reading about and, uh, you know, kidnappings and just the... I was in Tracy and I was just aware of the, the little one that had been... Ta they don't know what happened and just the, the police issues and the shootings. It's just a, uh, the, the riots in other parts of the world. And I'm not... Again, I'm not trying to depress us by any means, but I wasn't happy. I'm not happy about those things. Those things don't make me happy. Um, in fact, if I think too much about them, I actually f feel very unhappy and almost a little discouraged. But then Jesus said, living in, an, in a world like ours where bad things happen because it's broken and it doesn't always work right, that's what Jesus has come to address. The Bible talks about that and about how evil is reality in this world and so is suffering and pain and uh, death. And, these, and there's a lot of unfair things and ugly things that happen. How do we live, how do we live with the joy of the Lord in a, in a world like this? Um, and we live in a very safe, relatively speaking, environment. Other places in the world is far less um, to be assumed, the things that we take for granted around the comfort of life. And I say all that because, you know, ultimately our happiness, our joy, Jesus says, cannot be dependent on things that can be taken from us. And I think we've learned something, hopefully, in this whole economic crisis about the reality of the fact that, you know what, we can never make our identity or our sense of well-being dependent on things that are, are so c capable of being taken from us or disappearing uh, rapidly. The wisdom of Jesus maybe shows up all the more meaningfully at a time like this when uh, we're being reminded that, that life is a gift and we, we, it's not always easy. The cross wasn't easy. He entered into a lot of ugly stuff. But he also modeled for us how to live the joyful life. And what I think of joy, I think of this kind of uh, deep, deep sense of optimism that resides at a, at a level below the surface. I always think of happiness as something that's on the surface, but joy is something that resides deep within. And it has to do with the ability to recover. It has to do with an attitude that God can even bring good from bad things. It has to do with an, a relative optimism that seems to seep in to what would otherwise be a very discouraging place. It has to do with the fact that God is with us. God is for us. God has not forsaken us. That there is a presence that he has for us in this life and a promise that goes beyond this life. That we can, we, that no matter what life deals us, no matter what happens to us personally, that although we may want certain things to happen and they don't, or maybe we want certain things not to happen and they do, that whatever it is, that God ultimately is walking with us and we are not alone. And we are a people who live in promise. And we've been given an op opportunity to choose to live in the joy of the Lord. And it's a decision we make. And Jesus said, make no mistake about it. And he's saying this on the verge of entering into a very dark moment. He's saying, don't ever forget that my desire for you is that you are affected by my joy. That the joy that I have would fill your life, even and maybe even most profoundly, when it makes the least sense. And so this is part of the whole conversation that he was having. And then he goes on to say this, verse 12. He says, and this is my commandment. I want to give you a command, and here it is, that you love one another even as I have loved you. They think about this, that he is, is telling them that this is not an option. <laughs> he's looking at his disciples, and he's saying, don't you ever forget this. 
that I want you to work at loving one another. And I think it's implied right there that a lot of times, um, if love was just based on our feelings, we wouldn't do it. But it's a commandment. I didn't give you, a, it's, this, it's not this suggestion I give to you. Try to be a loving person. This commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to strive for this. This is what he says. And greater love has no man than this, no one than this, that they lay down one's life for his friends. Now it's impossible to miss in verse, in verse 13, the cross. You can feel it all over that verse. Greater love hath no, that's exactly what he was about to do. Greater love has no man than, he, than, than no one than this, than to lay down their life for a friend. I mean, clearly you can hear it. But what Jesus, interestingly enough, does here is he takes this moment after he tells them, I want you to love one another. I want you to love sacrificially. I want you to love in a way that is loyal and committed and true and courageous. I want you to love like I'm about to show you what it looks like. He says, and let me tell you something. This, this has to do with being friends. And he moves off. He, he shifts the course of his conversation and he begins to dive in. And when he says, you know, greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends, he shifts it over into a statement about friendship. And it's, you look at it and he says in, in verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Uh, no longer do I call you servants. Look at this. Because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all the things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Um, you didn't come looking for me, Jesus says. I appointed you like Abraham of old. I called you. And I hope you can hear this. I do not believe there's not one person in this, in this place right now the Lord hasn't called you by name. He knows. He has called you to follow him. He has called me. He has called us. Wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. He says, you didn't, appoint, you didn't come looking for me. I came looking for you. I appointed you. And you know why I appointed you, he says? I appointed you that you might have fruit in your life. I did it so that you can bear fruit. I, in, fact, in fact, he says, I invite you to pray for that. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In other words, I did it so that you can bear fruit and in fact, I, I invite you to pray for it with confidence and assurance because God wants that to happen in our lives. You know what's fascinating here is the two things, what are the two things in the verses that we just read, there are two things that Jesus says specifically he would like to see remain in us. One of them is verse, in verse 11. It says that my joy may remain. Notice. And then the other one we just read. That what? Your fruit should remain. Two things. Joy and fruit. What is that fruit? What is he talking about? But the effect of our life, the impact of our life, the way in which our life shows up, the interaction, the influence, the, the way in which people are touched by the way we live for God. I mean, th he's talking about the quality, the outflow, the the. Mm, harvest that comes when we live for God in this life. He's talking about living life in a way that has an effect on people for God. And he's saying that this matters to me. And he says, and I don't just call you servants. Now look at me. And you know, I feel like Jesus says, look at me. I'm not calling you servants. 
I haven't just told you, go do this and go do that. Go, go, go do that. No, he says, you know what? I don't call you just servants. I have called you my friends. And I have chosen, and you know what he says a friend, friend has to do with relationship? Look at this. He's saying this is about not just doing things. It's about relationship. Because see, the difference is because a friend's talk, he says. He says a friend gives a reason for something. There's an opportunity for an exchange. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, look, I call you not just servants. Servants just is told what to do, and he goes and does it, or she goes and does it. He says, but no, no, I call you my friends because... I have shared with you things of my heart. And this morning in prayer, I was in prayer room and I, I was with some of the, the ones preparing for the service. And one of the things that struck me was, and I think we were just singing, we were just worshiping together. And one of the things that hit me was this, Lord, you want my heart. And I say that all the time. I sing it all the time. But for some reason, it just really hit me this morning. Lord, when all is said and done, you want my heart first, more than my doing my duty. It's like you don't tell me, just go do it. You say, hit me share with you my heart, my reason, my spirit. I want you to love me. This is about loving God. It's a whole different deal when we do something out of religious fear or obligation because it's the thing we're supposed to do than Something that we want to do because our heart is in it. There is a huge difference, Jesus said, between the one, the, he used in another analogy, he said the true shepherd guards the sheep with his life and is willing to give his life for his people. But the hireling who doesn't care for the sheep, Jesus said, that one, when the danger comes, He's on his way. And a hireling always works different than an owner because an owner has invested their heart into it. And I'm not saying, and Jesus was using the contrast of a hireling as just someone who's being paid to do something, but, that, but it's all about doing the thing, but not the heart connection. Can you hear me when I'm saying that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, don't ever forget the core of this thing it's not just doing things for me. It's learning how to live in my love and how to love one another. It has to do with relationship. It has to do with true friendship. It's, it has to do with learning to serve me and live for me. It's challenging things in your life because you truly have embraced who I am for you. It's about hearing my words and doing them, not because you're just being told to do something out of habit, but because you care. And when we love someone, when we truly appreciate someone, it's not hard to want to serve them and bless them. You see what I'm saying? I want your heart, Jesus says. You're my friends. You're my friend. You're not just servants. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another, that you... Work to love one another. Again, there's the whole love. He starts it and he ends it the same way. He sort of brackets the whole thing with this command to love. He, he, it's almost like he's saying, this is no option. You listen to me. It's almost like Jesus is saying, how can I say it any more than just in stereo here? Guard your unity. Guard it. Fight for it. 
because it is about to be tested at a very intense level. You have no idea, he's saying to them, what is about to hit you. It is, it is a tsunami of darkness. It is coming. It is going to hit so square and so hard. You're all going to run. You're not going to get what's happening. You're going to turn. You're going to even feel tempted to turn your back on one another. He's telling them, you stick together. You love one another. You don't run away from each other. I, can, he, I get the feeling that he's talking to someone like John, and he's saying to him, John, don't forget, when your brother fails, and he will, Peter Will fail. I've, he already had told Peter where he was heading. His self-confidence was finally going to catch up with him. He says, you do not have what it takes. You do not truly know yourself. You do not know your weakness yet. You know who you are, but I know you better than you are, than who you think you are. And Jesus told Peter, you will fail. Not because I want you to, but you will see you do not have enough disconnected from the vine. You are not strong enough. You can pick up a sword, but that's not what's going to be tested. It's a different kind of testing. It has to do with other things. And he tells his disciples, you love one another, you forgive one another, you stay with one another, you support one another, don't quit on each other. Do your best. Do your best. These are powerful words. So that brings me to this sort of movement towards Easter. And here are my, I'll put them in the, under the auspices of closing reflections just because it probably fits better. But I want to suggest firstly a couple of things like I like to do that intersect with my heart. First one, and I need to move fairly rapidly on this, but I don't want to go too fast, is that I want to suggest that how we approach our friendships and key relationships matters a great deal, especially to God. Um, and I want to, can you hear me when I say that one of the primary ways that we actually apply this teaching in John 15 about life and bearing fruit has to do with how we engage our relationships. And I'm talking about the closest circles in our lives. And we will not always get it right. And we will at times make a mess of things. And we will not always say the right things. And we may treat one another inappropriately at times. And God wants us to learn to love one another, forgive one another, help each other grow together. He wants us to cultivate a love that shows up not just when it feels like showing up, but it is committed. Because so much of relational testing has to do with what happens when we don't feel it. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He felt like going the opposite way. Remember? We talked about this. What he wanted to do was, Father, if it be possible, take this cup. I don't want this. Take this cup from me. It is not my, it is not joyful to me. I do not want this. But what I do want is you and to honor you and to uh, and align myself as I have done with your purpose. And so he walks into the cross. And I'm going to say that there are times where living for Jesus will challenge us to go against the grain of our will. And it will mean that we, too, must walk into something that we don't necessarily feel like walking into. But love requires it of us. Love sacrifices. Love endures. Love fights. And I mean in the right way. It fights for things that God says are important. It contends. It doesn't quit easy. You see what I'm saying? 
Jesus says, the same kind of love that I've modeled for you, I want you to let that show up in your life. And it means it's going to affect, listen, all of us, it's going to affect the most centerpiece. That means our family, for those of us who are, have children, it's going to show up in our children. It's going to show up in the way we relate as a husband and a wife. It's going to show up in our extended family and key friendships. It's going to even show up in the workplace and how we engage people relationally, in our, in our intimate friendships and in our more casual acquaintances. Christ wants to show up there because a faith that is only a faith confessed but never lived out is not much faith at all. That's what Jesus said. If we have my commands and do them, that's the one who loves me. And I say to the Lord, Lord, help me to love you better. Help me to love you the way you loved me. I can't do it right. I don't do it right a lot, but help me by your grace. Give me strength. And you know how that shows up? It shows up in the relationships, best as we can do, to honor God. And I'm going to, secondly, not far behind this, is the fact that Jesus really is our best friend. And I hope that somewhere along this week we pause to think about this passage, because what did he say? He says, I do not just call you my servants. I call you my friend. You are my friends. The Lord of glory says, you are my friend. And he will not leave us nor forsake us. There's a verse in John 13, 1. It opens up like this, and it says this. When he's talking about, you can go ahead and put that up. It said that when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he would depart. This is the beginning of this whole movement. It says he would depart from this world to the Father. Look at that last phrase. Having loved Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I don't know how that hits you, but I know how it hits me when I'm at my best. It's, Lord, let me love like this. People need us to love like this. They need us to stick. Love you to the end. That is what he models. Now, think about that. He says, I will love you to the end. And one day my end will come here. And I pray that I will still be holding on to my friend. But in the meantime, we have a life to live for him. And may we cultivate that friendship as if it was the greatest, you know what, on the, as the greatest friendship we ever could have. On the bottom of the page, I put this quote. It's from a very old poem. I called it Stranger at the Door. But let me just quickly look, read it to you. Just, it hit me, and I'll tell you why it hit me. It hit me because of the very last part of it. But it caught me in a number of ways. This old writer put it this way. He says, behold, a stranger at the door. He gently knocks, has knocked before. He's waited long, is waiting still. You treat no other friend so ill. But he will prove a friend indeed. He will, the very friend you need. The friend of sinners, yes, tis he. And look at this play on words, with garments dyed on Calvary. Dyed red because he dies for us. This friend who gives everything, he gives everything. He's our friend, Jesus. He is my friend. How can I repay you, Lord, for the debt I owe you? Look, Jesus said, greater love is no man, no one than this, than to lay down your life for a friend. And here's our final thought. That in Jesus, we have a friend who has given his life for us. And this is exactly what we are to think about. Because 
when you, when you think about a friendship, when you think about what the Lord has done, what greater gift of love can another human being ever give for someone else? How can we ever pay, repay someone if they were to take a bullet for us? Jesus has died for us. He took a bullet for us, as it were, to use that phrase. He went, he went the beautiful one, gave it all for us, for you. Not, and not just us, you, me, specifically. Each one of us. I give you my life. And what do I ask? I mean, we're not being asked, by the way, here in America at this time in this history. No one who follows Jesus is being asked to lay down their life physically. There's no threat, deny me or die. There are people in the world right now who live like that, with that fear, and they get to choose. We have not been asked to do this, but we have been asked to die in a different way, to die to our own will and live for his, and to challenge ourselves in an environment that the real great temptation is to be apathetic and to miss our moment for God. And the challenge is to live for God, to live as one grateful, truly, truly grateful, uh, to live close to our friend, to remember that his love is strong, is strong, but his hand is gentle. It's a strong hand, but a gentle lead. It's Jesus, the one who gives everything for us. And he who has not spared his own son. I love my children. And I know it can't totally match up with what God has done, and I'm not suggesting it's a complete fit, but the idea of giving any of my children away, it, 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 I, 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 can't, I can't see it. And yet that's what God has done. He gave us only begotten son. And he gave us him. And he gave himself to us. And he calls us to live for him and to bear fruit for him. And by the grace of God, I pray that we would return the good done to us and challenge the areas of our lives where the Lord is trying to put his finger on his hand. As, and he's saying, look, I want, you to sh I want you to let me show up here. I want to challenge this. I want, I want to touch this area, this habit, or this part of life where it's, it's enough already. It's time for a change. And one of the things I hope we do because really that's everything that has to do with the, the Lord's Prayer, if you think about it. You know, it's about, Lord, have your will in my life. One of the interesting things is that the song that we clo we're closing with, which is called, this, you know, His, His Love is Strong, is, is a song that it really is wrestling with. And I'm, by the way, and I'm doing more right now than actually introing the song because the song actually is, for me, deeply connected with this, this particular word that we just shared because it talks about the Lord's will in our life. It talks about, look at the, look at the top stanza on the right-hand column there. It says, the kingdom of the heavens is now advancing. Invade my heart, Lord. Invade this broken town. I love that phrase. The kingdom of heaven is a buried treasure. Will you sell yourself to buy the one you found? Two things you told me, that you are strong and you love me and you love me. My God in heaven, Hallowed be thy name above all names. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us weary sinners. Keep us away from our vices and deliver us from these prisons. Lord Jesus, as we are here before you, 
on the verge of thinking about your cross and what you gave us in yourself. I know the call, the call that you give back, the call that echoes through the valley, the call that comes down from the mountain where you were thrown between two thieves is the call, follow me, love me, walk with me, be my friend. I thank you, Lord, that you have made a decision to give everything for us. I pray that we would not be in any way passive about our allegiance to you. I pray that our love for you would show up. And the interesting thing, Lord, you didn't ask us to take up a sword or do anything that is violent. You asked us to live for you and to love well for you and to be a difference maker for you and to pray for these things to grow. You said, pray for these things. Pray for this expansion in your life that it may bless others in my name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life, Lord, as you desire it to be done. So, Lord, as we close the service out, we pray that you would, yeah, bless our time of giving, bless those who walk in covenant with you, bless those of us, Lord, who are so faithful in this regard. I pray that, Lord, but also bless us as we sit with this closing song, which in my mind is a prayer being offered up to you. May it drive home deeply what we've shared together. This I ask in Jesus' name, on this Palm Sunday, I pray. Amen, Lord, and amen.